talking about to catch a serial killer or to catfish a killer. Let's jump right into it, y'all. I'm glad to be back with another episode. My name's Rebecca, your host. You already know what time it is. So in the summer and fall of 2016, a serial killer stalked the streets of urban New Jersey where he had attacked four women in 84 days only killing three of those four women. So we have one that survived, which is great. Okay, I found this on the web for for women in 84 days, only killing three of them. Sorry about that. Seems as though my phone does not like me one bit, so I'm going to cut that off (laughs) and get that done and take care of. All right, so one of his weapons of choice was his cell phone because he used to hunt women. And then, you know, after he learned how to hunt women, he would search how to hurt people, how to kill people, different ways. Well, then, when his murder was, like, fully complete and he just killed him, he would then use his phone to ask for directions back to his house. Like, dude, that shit is so traceable you don't understand. People can go through your phone, see where you bid, and there's the bodies. Like, if the bodies are there, they can track that. I guess, but they have to check your phone first and get your phone number and all that good stuff. So, after most violent crimes, the victims and their loved ones would wait and wait and wait and hope that police and prosecutors can bring that criminal to justice. And get the criminal. Uh, For a group of women also affected by these New Jersey crimes, merely hoping and waiting just was not possible and was not good enough. So, police couldn't crack the case, apparently. So, this group of women did. You got this group of women that teamed together to catch a killer. Or... Catfish a killer. You guys know what it is. Um, They outsmarted the killer. They found him and they stopped him. Hopefully they got the police involved as, you know, this is really dangerous. You need to get police involved before you meet up with one of these in hopes that you get it taken care of. So then we got where a friendship turns into nothing but an obsession. So our killer probably came obsessed with one of his friends and was out to get her. So Tiffany Taylor, who had grown up in a public housing project in New York, in New Jersey City, uh, met Collie Wheeler Weaver. Yes, he has two, two last names. Through a friend when she was just 33 years old, and she was living in Roselle. With her mother after moving back from Orlando. So she had been studying psychology and music in Florida. But then she fell pregnant and moved back home with her mother. So that way her mom could help her out. You know, be there for her in this time. And then a friendship sort of arose. When Taylor hung out with the 20 year old Wheeler Weaver. She would drive her Volkswagen convertible to his house in Orange, which was just a small city near Newark, Norwalk, whatever. However you say it, let me know how to say it, you guys. Um, Taylor kicked his butt the video game NBA 2K, where she called him Youngin. So then in high school, Wheeler Weaver had a few friends. Didn't play sports, rarely attended parties, and he didn't date. But according to the neighbors and classmates from the Orange High School, class of 2014, um, quote, I know he didn't have girlfriends at all in high school, his classmate Tyrell Benton said. Then he also stated that he kept to himself, he wasn't popular, 
but he wasn't bullied either. I don't, I personally do not understand how, if you're not bullied and nothing's wrong at home or anything from what I've read so far and what I've collected so far, that how is your, how do you become a killer? I mean, you weren't bullied. No one was picking on you. No one was making it hard for you. No one was giving you wedgies or dunking your head in the toilet at school and stuff like that. I don't understand it, but we'll find out more as we get along in this episode. Um, Wheeler Weaver stuck out of his nerdy style, kind of. He wore plaid shirts, tucked into his iron khakis. And his plain white Nikes. He wasn't really a street kid, quoted Benton. But by his late teens, Wheeler Weaver was a tall and good looking with a wide set of brown eyes and a charming smile. He then started to DJ at parties. He bought a silver BMW. So life was starting to look up. He was doing good. He got out of his nerdy style. He was getting up out of there. He was really making a living. He then worked as a security guard on his phone. He researched the exams. Needed to become a police officer, like his stepfather and his uncle, who were both detectives. Well, he also used his phone to research homemade poisons to kill humans. Like, bro, what is this? Why, why are we just looking this up like we just want to make poisons to kill humans like who are we trying to kill at this point but Wheeler Weaver had liked Taylor's tattoos her dreadlocks and the fact that she could drive a stick shift car I get it men ain't used to a woman driving a stick shift car granted I myself do not know how to um and my boyfriend will teach me that eventually, once we get settled with everything. Uh, but then he became obsessed with her and kept asking her friend for hookups uh, or to hook us up, stuff like that, Taylor said. But she kept saying no because he was young and he was sleeping with her friend. And... She just didn't want to deal with him in that kind of way. But he kept begging to pay her for sex. And Taylor had been working as a sex worker. So he thought, well, I'll pay you for it. She'll just do that. And eventually she said yes. Though that was a lie. Instead, she planned to rob him. So she finally gave in and gave in. And now she just planned on robbing him because she got tired of men just wanting sex all the time and then looking at her like she was a sex object. So Taylor also said that, uh, so I just started taking their money. So then Wheeler Weaver asked Taylor to come to his parents' house. She arrived around 8 p.m. on April 10th in 2016. He had paid... He paid her $200 in cash up front as agreed. They walked upstairs. She entered his childhood bedroom. She saw a nightstand and a little bed of a boy. And she says she forgot the condoms in her car and walked outside to get them. Then, cash in hand, Taylor drove away. She completely drove away so by november 2016 taylor now four months pregnant had a new side hustle she was a construction worker and a drug addict she knew rented a room at the riz motel on route one in elizabeth so the attic had gave taylor the keys to his burgundy lincoln sedan and he instructed her to use the car to find dealers and buy him crack. In return, he paid her crack, cash. So now she met a man. She was four months pregnant. Not only was she a construction worker, or 
not only was this dude a construction worker and a drug addict that she knew had rented a room at the Riz, but now he is getting her to find dealers and buy crack for him. And he just paid her in cash in return. So meanwhile, Taylor kept receiving texts from a stranger in her line of work. This was not uncommon at all. The man asked for sex. He offered money. Taylor finally agreed. And the date was November 15th of 2016. Her plan? Steal his money, then get away. So the stranger arrived at the Riz at 7.51 p.m. The temperature outside was around 50 degrees. Um, they didn't know. But he came dressed for snow. He wore black gloves. His brown eyes were framed by a black ski mask, a hat, and the hood of his back sweatshirt. Black sweatshirt, my bad. And Taylor didn't recognize him and focus on the money. And she didn't find his ski mask particularly odd. And he paid her 18 cash. So then Taylor drove the Lincoln from the Riz with the man in the passenger seat. And he asked Taylor to pull over so he could urinate. Because I'm guessing he just had a pee. Um, I mean, it's not uncommon for men to have to pee a lot. It isn't. And his request was a ruse. It seems likely um, that he had bashed her on the head with the set of cuffs that he had concealed. So he literally took these cuffs and whacked her on the side of her head. Or maybe he slipped a date rape drug into her iced tea. Either way, Taylor had lost consciousness, and when she woke up, her head was thundering in pain, and she couldn't breathe. So he then pressed her body into the back seat, her neck in a chokehold. She thought she was going to die. So as she regained the consciousness, the stranger removed his ski mask and said, Do I look familiar? You don't remember me? Taylor remembers him saying, you took my money. She screamed, don't kill me. Please don't kill me. I'm pregnant. And McWeaver said, I know. That was when she knew he would kill her tonight. So he literally knew that she was pregnant and still killed her. That's a double homicide. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I think that's a double homicide. So, under the duct, duct tape, loosened by her tears and blood, she cried, Please, these handcuffs are so tight. Could you loosen them? And he did. He loosened them. And then, once he agreed to that, in my head, I said, I got him. Taylor would later recount, he's weak. He's really weak. She kept talking. You texted me, remember? My phone has our entire conversation, has our Facebook account, your address, your name. But my phone isn't here. It's back at the hotel. Oh, no, Wheeler said, his voice rising. We got to go back and get that phone. So he moved to the front seat and sat in the car. Nobody wants me. Nobody likes me, he said. Why do I have to pay for a girl to show me attention? So he felt as if women should like him, should find him attractive, should want to be with him. But he's stating that nobody wants him. Nobody likes him. But for me, I feel like if you should change, if you changed your attitude, maybe then women would like you. You know, if you wasn't so down and depressed all the time and you lived your life to the greatest adventure that you could, then, then maybe, just maybe, you would be able to 
do something. That's the way I see it. I don't know about you guys. You guys can comment that below as well. How you feel he should have went about this. Instead of turning into a cold-blooded killer. Um, so he started the car and alone in the back seat with her wrist behind her back. Taylor pulled her left hand free from the cuffs and he didn't notice. She had made her decision. If this guy drove past the Riz Motel without stopping, she would drop the handcuffs over his head and pull with her strength. She felt prepared to die in a crash as long as Wheeler Weaver did too. So she was prepared to die in order to kill him too. She wanted him gone as well. Taylor was surprised when he pulled into the Riz parking lot. She quickly slipped her hand back into the cuffs. Wheeler Weaver parked, opened the back door, and tore the duct tape from her face. He draped a jacket across her shoulders to hide the cuffs. He explained the plan. She was to walk upstairs and retrieve the phone. He would walk a few steps behind, and then they'd leave. Taylor said, okay. So she climbed the stairs at room 32. She kicked the mustard yellow door. The attic, desperate for drugs, opened it immediately, just as Taylor expected. She rushed in and slammed the door shut. He, it locked automatically. So then Wheeler Weaver ran to the door, shouting, Taylor, open, open the curtain on the window next to the bolted door. She raised her right wrist so he could see the handcuffs dangling. So then Wheeler Weaver ran away. And then moments later, Taylor tried to lay a trap. She texted Wheeler Weaver that she needed the keys to the car. She wouldn't call police if he brought them back. Well, I had already called the police, Taylor said. So Taylor already called the police, already had everything done and taken care of. So then, Wheeler Weaver did return, and the mob... Motel security cameras recorded him dropping the keys on the motel stairs and then hiding in the shadows. So he hid in the shadows, waiting for her to come get the keys just to try and kidnap her again. So then the officers from the Elizabeth Police Department arrived at the wrist at 9.28 p.m. Wheeler Weaver watched. Taylor described to the officers the kidnapping, the rape, the attempted murder. She gave them her attacker's phone number, Facebook account, home address, and full name. The police didn't believe her at all. They accused her of prostitution and threatened to arrest her. So then Wheeler Weaver, meanwhile, asked his phone for directions home and drove away. So now, police didn't believe her because she's at this hotel that's known for drug addicts, and known for prostitution, stuff like that. So now we're going on to the next girl. And her name was Robin West. And she lived most of her childhood with her mother, Anita Mason. In the West Philadelphia. West Philadelphia. Sorry. Born and raised. Yeah. That. That's what comes to my mind. So occasionally... She stayed with her father, Leroy West, at a, he was a Philadelphia school district police officer and an assistant church pastor who lived on the city's north side. So when Leroy West imposed rules, such as an evening curfew, his daughter shafted. She was adventurous, very strong-willed, her father said. And he also stated it really didn't matter what anybody felt. If she made up her own mind to do something, she would do it. So then Robin West and her mother fought often. She moved out when she was 18. The people who loved West tracked her moods on Facebook. So when West, when she worked as an exotic dancer, felt happy, she posted photos with her hair dyed blonde or mint green. When she felt low, she dyed it black, and Wes looked forward to September 5th of 2016, which was her 20th birthday. So, she posted photos of sleeveless white dress um, she bought for the occasion. 
And as a teenager, she lived for a time at Wordsworth Academy treatment facility in West Philadelphia for young people with behavior and mental health issues. That's where she met Bernicia Patterson. And they grew up so close that they called each other sister or twin. And then Patterson later became a sex worker. And the two often paired up to keep each other safe. They placed ads on websites, meeting Johns at hotels in Philadelphia. At the end of August 2016, Patterson suggested a trip to New Jersey. After a few nights in a hotel, they found themselves out of cash with no place to stay. So, at 11 p.m. on August 31st, the pair headed to... Nye Adventure Avenue in Newark, a neighborhood of burned-out homes and woody lots framed by an abandoned train yard. So West wore a red Nike hat, a lacy black shirt, and black shorts. Her black sandals sparkled in the orange glow of the streetlights. But then it was her first night walking the streets, and she didn't really know the ropes. One of the first cars to stop was a silver sedan. The driver seemed nice and charming, and she said, Who you want? Patterson asked. The driver pointed to Wes, and she got to the car. Patterson typed the car's license plate number into her phone, and she saved it as a contact. As the car pulled away, Patterson told the driver, Be careful with my sister because I love her. The driver, cell phone data, would later reveal that they traveled to an abandoned house in the 400 block of Lakeside Avenue in the city of Orange, two miles from his home. He spent an hour there. He left at 1.27 a.m. 23 minutes later, a nearby resident called for help. The abandoned house would then be set on fire. So now, he not only murdered someone, but he committed arson by setting this house on fire. I don't understand where he gets his pleasure from or anything. I find it just atrocious that you could do something like that. Um, so... It is what it is. We're getting it taken care of. Um, you know, inside, once firefighters got inside this house, they had found a body, and outside, the driver had returned as the house continued to burn. Later, he would ask his cell phone for directions home. So, this house is two miles from your house. But yet, you still got to ask your phone for directions to your house. Like, you already didn't know how to get there. Like, you took her there for a reason. So, you automatically knew where she was going. I don't understand this dude. I don't think I ever could mentally. Why he done something like this. Physically, maybe he just got off on it. Or what? Because most killers... They get off on killing people, and that has been a proven fact. The following day, Patterson reported West missing. She gave her the license plate number to the Union Township Police, and the plate belonged to a silver BMW. Who drives a silver BMW? Wheeler Weaver. Weaver, Wheeler, whatever. Dude has two last names. So weird. So the body discovered inside the burned house was so badly damaged that investigators had to use dental records to identify West. So basically, and teeth are hard to be burned in fire. So that's why when most bodies are severely charred and you can't identify the body, they go straight to the teeth because... You've had to have been at the dentist at some point in your life. 
So they have there's dental records on hand and on data. So there's that. That's how they usually do that. Um, the determination came two weeks after she went missing on September 13th of 2016. Eight days after her 20th birthday. She was found dead and burned. So then there was a silent phone call that was made. Joanne Brown, who was born in Augusta, Maine, one of eight children, the family called her Billy Joe. So when she was five, the family moved to Newark, Newark, and her childhood was very difficult. Brown, who developed bipolar disorder, I mean, that's what I've got, and I'm on meds for it. It is what it is. A, a woman's got, a woman's just bipolar at this point. I can relate to that. So, um, I know if I don't go without my meds, I cry a lot, or I just, I get ill towards people. But that's just me. If you're bipolar, what, what, did, what happens to you when you don't have your meds? And then she also has schizophrenia. I would hate to have schizophrenia, y'all, because I would be seeing people, be doing some crazy-ass shit that, like, what the fuck is this? Like, literally, what is this that's going on here? So, But she graduated from Westside High School, and she enjoyed fashion, styling, hair. I, I guess if you have schizophrenia, you come up with some of the best ideas, uh, in fashion, some tacky, tacky clothing and stuff like that. So then, even when her mood suddenly turned dark, she would recover, and laughing and dancing with her friends, which is good because you always need to be able to pull yourself out of depressive episodes or the sudden mood episodes. And so then she used drugs. Bad idea. Bad idea, girl. Girl, that's 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 a terrible, terrible idea there. Because you you really gotta connect. So then she worked as an exotic dancer. Why is all these women become exotic dancers? For real, that's how you get killed in everything. But she was an exotic dancer for nearly a decade. So first under the name Secret, and then later London. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I get it why you have you use different names because of you don't want people to know your real name. I get that. I understand that. But why the name Secret and then London? Like London Bridge falling down, stuff like that? Like, is that what we're going with? We rhyming with the child song or the Fergie song? I think it was Fergie. I think it was Fergie. The London, London, London Bridge. That thing. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. It works. And so the friends, like Amina Nobles, was super worried about her safety when it came to this. So Barnes and Nobles, Brown and Nobles, Barnes and Nobles. I guess I want a new book. I don't know. Brown and Nobles were hanging out with friends near Popeye's restaurant. Yeah, I ain't never ate at Popeye's. So I don't I don't know what that's like. But but now I really want to try canes. I think canes would be really good. I think it'd be better than Chick-fil-A. Because personally, I like Chick-fil-A a lot. I get the uh, 12 count meal of their fried nuggets, but I gotta start going to Grim Nuggets because a bitch gotta lose some weight. But it was on the Newark side, south side, and on October 22nd, 2016, she was 33 years old, Brown was, and a man drove up at 1.16 p.m. and he chose Brown. So, you know, Usually when she left for a client, Brown called Nobles to report her whereabouts and the time she expected to return. A tenuous lifeline 
But that afternoon, Brown had given her phone to a friend who needed to make an urgent call. Brown got into a car. So now, Brown is without the phone because she let a friend use it. And then she got in the car. So as they drove, Brown asked to borrow the man's phone. She called Nobles at 1.30 p.m. The man drove to an abandoned house in the 300 block of Highland Avenue in Orange. So again, he's going back to Orange County that's close to his home. So that way he's not far and he can get home quickly, have an alibi. Great. Don't we just love that? And so, as the man drove, or not that, he took Brown inside. He strangled her with a jacket. A jacket. Who the hell? Why? Why? If you're going to murder someone, why use a jacket? I guess he just didn't have anything else. And he left her body on the stair landing. So her head was wrapped in duct tape from her eyes to her chin. So then, after he strangled her and murdered her with a jacket, he decided, oh, I'm going to duct tape her face, her whole entire face. So then at 3.03 p.m., he left. He, he went home, whatever. Two minutes later, he arrived home. See, you're, you're taking... You're in this county that you know, but you're asking your phone for directions. So once police actually do their job, find you, they get your phone. There's so much evidence here, dude. You are the stupidest person I think there is when it comes to using their cell phone and asking, hey, how do you get home? They can track that shit, dude. There's cell towers that tracks it. Four minutes later, he searched his phone for recent outgoing calls. He called the number at the top of the list. Nobles answered. She asked, is this London? The killer stayed silent. Nobles called the number back three to four times, and no one answered. Nobles then reported her friend missing to Newark police seven weeks later. Seven fucking weeks later. Almost two whole months. On December 5th, a pair of contractors who arrived at this Highland Avenue home, the workers were walking up the steps. The first man had stopped and said, Boss, I think someone's sleeping here. But that's not the case. She was murdered and dead. So we have one that made it out. We now have two. Two murders. Next we're going to be talking about the third one. But here's some text from Wheeler Weaver to Butler on a social map, on a social media app text exchange. So, Weather Weaver said, you want to make some money. Sex for money. And she goes, wow, well, how much money? And he goes, how much are you looking for? And so she said 500. I mean, that get that bag, girl. Get that bag, homegirl. And he said, okay, no problem. For $500, would you spend the night at my place? And so she said, you're not a serial killer, right? LMAO. Laugh my ass off. And he goes, no. That right there, if someone just says no, I would automatically be like, okay, what? What's wrong? What's going on? Are you really, though? Because you only one-worded me. So what? What's going on? What's the deal? Um, but that's just some of it. Um, so now we're going to the third victim. And her name was Sarah Butler's. Or Butler. 
and her mother, Lauren Butler, immigrated from Jamaica in the early 1990s. And then she eventually became a nanny in Montclair. I mean, rich place. Rich place. Sarah Butler's father, Victor Butler, worked as a bartender at a country club. And they raised three daughters. And money was tight. You know, I understand, you know, you're living in, you know, what you can't afford. And both parents are working. They're doing what they do. Just like me and my boyfriend. We both work jobs. And money stays tight because of bills. It's very understandable. A lot of people can relate to that. Um, but in high school, Sarah Butler was the bubbly middle child. And she won a scholarship to a local dance school. And that led to the Montclair High School Dance Team. So Sarah Butler was a very good dancer. She'd done her job. You know, she worked hard to win a scholarship where she became on the high school dance team, which, go girl, do it. I wish I never quit dancing because I enjoyed that so much. And I went to Color Guard. Granted, you know, I went to a really good school once I transferred from a really shitty-ass school where nothing was really done about bullying. So I transferred, and I was on their color guard for for the marching band. And, you know, we won grand champion my senior year. It was really great. I enjoyed that. Um, but anyways, and then she also worked multiple jobs. But she then eventually saved up enough money to buy a used car. Like, girl... You worked hard. You paid for your first car. Yes, it's used, but it don't matter. You paid for your own car. And that's amazing to me. So then, she used to commute to the New Jersey City University. And she was the first member of her family to enroll in college. So now, not only did she win a scholarship and became on the school dance team and she worked multiple jobs, saved up enough money to buy her first car herself. She then was also the first family to enroll in college. I can't say nothing because some of my family members uh, was in college, but you know, they didn't finish and I'm currently in college as well. And I've been in college for a year in July 12th. So, I'm getting my bachelor's in criminal justice and I'm majoring in forensics and white collar crimes because forensics is really cool, messing with the evidence. You get to be, you know, in the shadows, kind of, of solving a crime because if it's not for you collecting the evidence and running the test on it, the police would never have a killer to catch. Then, white collar crimes, a lot of companies commit fraud hire people for murder, stuff like that. And that helps, um, you know, stop these companies, high companies, from committing fraud, um, you know, tax evasion, even hiring, mur like hiring assassins to murder people. But her sophomore year, uh, she was living in the dorms and struggling to make friends. She said she didn't like it there. Butler's friend, Lamia Brown, um, would later say, but she was in school, so she had no choice. And then Butler created an account on Tag. I remember when I was in high school, and I had one of those. And it was so weird. Like, the men on there just gave off a really bad vibe. And it was god-awful. God-awful. So, as a social media site users describe as a place to find companionship. I found some men who were nice to talk to, but I never went out, like, on dates or anything with them because I didn't trust people then. I still don't trust people now. So, win-win. Um... 
But there she saw the profile of a man who called himself Lil Yacht Rock. All together. Lil Yacht Rock. And then on November 19, 2016, he typed, You want to make cash? And then sex for cash. So he sent this to now four women total. One survived, two did not. So Sarah Butler stated, Wow. Well, how much money? And so, again, like he texted Butler, how much are you looking for? And she said 500. Like, girl, get that bag. Like, like Butler, get that bag. Get it, get it, get it. And then he would reply, you know, okay, no problem. Which, I've already read this to you. You guys know um, what was going on. Um, so he wanted to get together soon. You know, he said he needed to leave for work. Butler agreed to meet. And at the last minute, she changed her mind. She stood him up. And two days later, she reconsidered. And so she said, sorry about the other day. I got really nervous. Butler wrote back, and I feel like an ass, but your voice and your pick don't seem to match. And Lil Yacht Rock responded, I'm a really cool guy when you get to know me. So now on November 22nd, 2016, the first day of Thanksgiving break, um, Lauren Buck, Laverne Butler, drove her blue Dodge minivan to Jersey City to retrieve her daughter from school. And that evening, Sarah asked to borrow the minivan. She wore a red ponytail hair extension. Where, you know, I guess extensions are really good. I personally have never had them. I would like some, but it's too fancy. Too expensive. I'm a cheap girl. If I can, I coupon too. So I like, I like my stuff cheap or free. Works out. Um, so she drove alone into the clear windy night, um, picking up Lil Yacht Rock at the address he provided. It was an abandoned house on Highland Avenue. So now, two people on Highland Avenue, maybe three. I think it was three. And then inside, Joanne Brown's body lay on the second floor landing where he had left her exactly one month before. Her face was still wrapped in duct tape outside. So Butler pulled up in her mother's blue vanny man and Wheeler Weaver climbed in. It was 9.55 p.m., and they drove to 7-Eleven a few blocks away. She stayed in the minivan. Ooh, y'all. Rainy days. Call for being tired. He got out. He purchased three Trojan Fire and Ice condoms. And the security cameras captured his outfit similar to what he wore to the attack of Taylor. A black sweatshirt. With the hood pulled low over his face, black sweatpants, black sneakers, and tight-fitting black gloves. I guess this time he didn't wear a ski mask. Which, obviously, that would look really weird going into a convenience store and everything. So, at 10.07 p.m., they drove away, and the minivan climbed the wooded hillside of Eagle Rock Reservation and Essex, Essex County Park in the town of West Orange. And there was a cliff with a Manhattan view and it stands on the Highland Pavilion, a restaurant, wedding venue with the valet parking lot behind a skim of trees, a green trailer, Lean on bulging tires at the edge of the lot. And that was where Wheeler Weaver murdered 
Sarah Butler. You knew he was getting to that, where he murdered her. So now there's the three women that he murdered, and Taylor was the one that got away. So he then dragged her body behind the trailer. Sloppily, he allowed her heels to carve parallel trenches in the soft ground. He left sweatpants tied tightly around her throat. So this time, he used sweatpants to kill her. And then when he removed the patch, packing tape from her head, it ripped out red fibers from her hair extensions. So now, now they've got some proof, hard proof, because he murdered Sarah and now has red hair fibers from her extensions, which he then deposited the tape inside the van. Like, bitch, they're going to know she got murdered now because there's duct tape. Tuck tape. Duct tape. Inside the mother's van. With the red hair fibers. I think we're just really stupid at this point. And he did get sloppy. I guess he thought no one was going to catch him at this time. And he covered her body with leaves and twigs. But her hands and feet were left exposed to the stars. So then, we are now coming onto the killer's trail. This is where they find all this proof. Um, but Butler was supposed to return home with the van at 8 p.m. When she didn't arrive, one of her sisters started texting friends to ask whether anyone had seen Sarah. In the morning, her mother, Laverne Butler, calls to Sarah, but it went straight to voicemail. So then her mother started to panic. I would too if when my child gets older, she doesn't answer her phone late at, you know, the very next morning. So when police, oh wait, getting ahead of myself. So on November 23rd, three days after she went missing, a friend of Daly's spotted the Butler's family's blue minivan tucked behind a former factory. Motherfucker, you're so stupid. Hey, oh my god. I ain't never met someone so stupid in my entire life at this point. The minivan was four miles from the Butler Street and six blocks from Wheeler Weaver's house. So now he walked home these six blocks and use his phone to find directions to his house. Like, dude, come on now. So police arrived at the scene, as did Daly and Lamia Brown. So the officers had not yet noticed Butler's red weave on the ground. But, here's the big but, the sisters did. So now, Lamia Brown let out a scream and pointed to the hair extensions. This was all the proof they needed. So now they have her body. And she wasn't simply missing. She was just dead. She was dead. She was gone. Because he tied sweatpants to her throat. Which they're going to, you know, get the sweatpants, get evidence off of that, find where it was bought at, who bought it, get video evidence. So then the women decided to take matters to their own hands, and they drove to Butler's home and opened her laptop. Brown knew the password, so they searched Butler's email and her Facebook page. Daly's friend, Samantha Rivera, joined. So now we got these three women. We got the sister, Bram. We got Delaney, and we got Samantha Rivera, and they logged into her account on Tag, and they saw she had been chatting with a man calling himself Lil Yacht Rock. So then the women decided they had to find him, 
And this is where they, the group, done something about it. So then Rivera created a fake profile and tagged Lil Yacht Rock's profile was among the first to appear. So then Rivera sent him a thumbs up on November 26th when Rivera received a text on tag. She and Butler's other loved ones had just met with police about the case. The text was from Lil Yacht Rock. He began offering cash for sex and said he needed to meet soon before he left for work. The money, the rush, all of it mirrored his text to Butler before she disappeared. So now this man is using the same messages over and over and over again. So now when they go back to the other girls' phones and stuff like that, they'll find these text messages and they'll link them all together. Man's really stupid. So the messages progress to a call and Rivera put Lil Yacht Rock on speakerphone and daily thinking on the fly recorded the conversation on the phone. Yes, girl. Yes, bitch. Record that shit. That's now going to be evidence. And Lil Yacht Rock wanted to meet Rivera Sue. And so she stated, do you want me to stop on by? Oh, never mind. He said, do you want me to stop on by? Ma'am. And so the women had to think fast. They needed more information. So Rivera stalled for time, and she wanted to meet for sex, she said, and she was desperate for money. This is how you catch a killer, to catfish a killer. Love it. Rivera said she would meet Lilia Rock at a Panera Bread in Montclair, a mile from police headquarters. So after hanging up, the three women went to the police station to describe the planned meeting. The women stayed at the station. Police sent two detectives instead. Confronted at Panera, Little Rock Yacht gave the officers his real name, Callie Wheeler Weaver. The police would later say they had no body, no evidence of a crime. So no reason to consider him a suspect. So they let him go. Okay. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But meanwhile, authorities also followed the trail of Butler's iPhone, which sent its last location ping from Eagle Rock Reservation the night she disappeared. So on December 1st, police found her body in the weeds by the valet parking lot. So now, thanks to the efforts of Daly and her friends, Police were already um, homing in on the killer. So now they have everything. Everything. And five days later, five days after Butler's body was discovered on December 6, 2016, Wheeler Weaver, Wheeler Weaver was in custody. So now they got him because they linked Butler's iPhone back to him and at the same location. So now, justice and vengeance is being served, and Wheeler Weaver made many, many mistakes, yet he still proved difficult to catch. So when he searched online for how to kill people with bleach, he used his cell phone. When he met with Robin West, he drove her to an abandoned house, murdered her, and burned the house to the ground. And returned to watch the fire. His phone sat beside him recording his location. Like I said earlier, dude, you're stupid. It would link up to you. There's cell towers. It tracks everything. Location, phone calls, all that. So when Joan Brown borrowed Wheeler Weaver's phone to call a friend, that phone pinged a forest of cell towers and created a digital trail that led authorities to the empty house where he killed her. So now, they're finally starting to go through the girls' phone and connect Wheeler Weaver. This is great. Finally, they're seeing all this. So when he attacked Tiffany Taylor near the Ritz Motel, 
And when he murdered Sarah Butler in Eagle Rock Reservation, his phone was there. And it was game on. Game on for these authorities. So police from two cities, Montclair, home to Sarah Butler, and Union Township, where West had stayed in a motel, interviewed Wheeler Weaver during his spree. Both times, Wheeler Weaver accompanied officers on driving tours. He showed them where he met Butler and West, where they drove together, where he last saw them. Safe and alive, he claimed. But what told police, um, but what he told police was a lie, obviously. And his phone records later proved it. Like, again, really fucking stupid to use your phone. Really are. So then the prosecutors took three years to investigate the case. They made sure they gathered every single evidence that they could. And I'm really living for that. So then their evidence gathering ranged from traditional can line searches to cutting edge tools that allowed the investigators to harvest data from Wheeler Weaver's smartphone without his password. Stupid motherfucker. Motherfucker, you stupid. But the police didn't crack this case just yet. A group of women did. Women who had never investigated a murder in their entire lives cracked this case before police. So, Bernicia Patterson recorded Wheeler Weaver's license plate. Joanne Brown's call to Amina Nobles helped police connect Wheeler Weaver to the spot where Nobles was kidnapped, the abandoned house where her body was found. Bernicia Delay and Lamia Brown discovered the discarded red hair extension, which made Sarah Butler's disappearance look even more suspicious. Sleuthing by Daly and her friends also established Wheeler Weaver's mythology, using his phone to track women, offering cash, then rushing to meet them. By finding Wheeler Weaver online and luring him into a trap with police, the women risked their lives. He believed he was hunting his next victim. In reality, the women were hunting him because they connected it before police did. Three weeks after her narrow escape, Taylor read a newspaper story about Wheeler Weaver's arrest in connection to Sarah Butler's murder. His arrangement was in Newark on December 13th of 2016. Taylor isn't fond of courthouses because who would when you, you know, worked how you worked. I was nervous, you recall. Every time I call police, I always end up wishing I didn't call. But Taylor sat in the courtroom. Afterwards, she approached Adam Wells, the lead prosecutor on the case. Taylor was the only person who could tie together all the threads of Wheeler Weaver's murder spree. His phone, digital stalking, rape, strangulation, and wrapping his victim's head in tape. She was very, very important, Will said. We like to think we could have prosecuted this case successfully without hearing from Miss Taylor, but there's no question that her testimony made it easier. Taylor testified for an entire day. She told the jurors how he robbed his man, how she robbed this man, lied to him, how he strangled her, and how moments later she played him for a fool. I wanted him to see me, Taylor said. I want him to know that it was me. Taylor believes her anger set her apart. People kept telling me I'm a hero, she said. I was just mad. I wanted something to happen to him for what he did to me. And I agree, girl. Make sure he gets his day, his justice, everything he deserves. So now on December 19th of 2019, three years later after they'd done their investigation, Callie Wheeler Weaver was found guilty of 11 
felonies, including murder, attempted murder, kidnapping, and aggravated arson because he burned down the house. He was sentenced to 160 years in prison. A month later, police linked him to the murder of 15-year-old Mawa Dumbia, who was reported missing from Newark in 2016. Her strangled body was then found in an unused carriage house in Orange in 2019. That same place that, you know, that those construction workers said, hey, I think someone's sleeping here. So then the prosecutors who charged Wheeler with Dumbia's murder in March of 2022 said they couldn't, they can't rule out whether there are other cases that might be connected to them. So he could have been doing this for years, even like longer than years, like for a century he could have done this without people knowing. And that, you guys, is how to catfish a killer, to catch a killer. I'm so excited that I am able to create this episode for you guys. And I thank you guys for listening and for everything that you guys do. Share with your friends. Share with everybody. And I can't wait for this next episode to come out soon. Love you guys. Be safe. Be careful out there. Make sure the people you are meeting are not serial killers. Make sure you do some research on them and everything. Um, Enjoy your time, guys. Bye.